0: Hi, I'm Josh Van Burkle. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. How exciting is it to be all back together? Right, that's cool. It's, it's really cool. This is the first Sunday that we've been able to gather together as a church without being, you know, negatively impacted by, like I said before, traffic lights or alert level settings or vaccine mandates and, Don't have to worry about things like QR codes and funky grammar like social distancing and all this sort of stuff that didn't exist a couple of years ago. And so this is the first time this year that we've been able to all come together without having to worry about that kind of stuff because of the size of the church that we are. So welcome this morning. If you're a guest with us this morning, you are most welcome. We put on a massive morning tea every Sunday morning, so um, feel free to come along each week. Uh, if you're watching at home, massive hello to everybody that is at home. I know that we've still got people away with the vid and all that kind of stuff. It's sort of sweeping through the church. I was saying to someone before, I said, I reckon half the church has got it, but no one from church has caught it from someone at church. It's, it's all been caught from like, kids coming home from school or workmates or whatever, but it has sort of, sort of gone around. And like I say, we had it as well. Uh, but I'm excited to be back here this morning. It's fun. Man, church is fun. Should be fun. Uh, I reckon there's nothing worse than a boring church, like it's, it's pretty hard to beat a boring church, but I'm excited too because like I said before, I feel like, and hopefully this isn't a message that ages badly, I feel like we're at kind of the end of this season. I was talking to someone before just over the morning tea, like that season of mandates and just, man, the stresses of the last couple of years and the... The, the blessings that we have had as far as opportunities to grow have been multitude, uh, so many. And so as a church, we've had to comp- like just constantly rethink how to do things, as I'm sure you have in your life as well. Um, it's meant a lot of um, revisiting things, a lot of revising things, a lot of adapting things. And so now that we've kind of come out of that season, it feels like, and Denise did a great job last Sunday of just unpacking some of the highlights that that God has taken us through as a church even in the last couple of years. But uh, the temptation now is to just take a big sigh of relief and say, now we can go back to the way that it was. And that is tempting because we know what we're doing if we go back to the way that we always did things and that requires a lot less of us it requires a lot less energy it requires a lot less thought and it requires a lot less decisions to be made uh, which is attractive to me because we have, as a team had to make so many additional decisions over the last even few months compared to what you'd normally have to make to run a chair it's just decision after decision after decision and eventually you get to this point where you have what's commonly referred to as decision fatigue Has anyone ever had that before? It's a legitimate thing where your brain goes, I can't make another decision, I'm out. It happened to me once when I was building my house, or watching a guy build it, when uh, like in 2015 we built our house, and man, I'd been renting my whole life or living in my parents' house, I didn't know how many decisions you have to make when you build a house. Like, you've got to pick the carpet, you've got to pick the tiles, you've got to pick the vinyl or the planking, you've got to pick where every single PowerPoint in your house goes. That doesn't just happen. Someone's got to tell it to go there. So many decisions. And you know, in the kitchen, you've got like, to pick your bench top and your cupboard fronts and whether you want soft clothes or hard clothes and what handles you want on your cupboard fronts, whether you want a gloss finish or a matte finish. And one day, my builder rang me right towards the end of the build. I'd made so many decisions and he said, Josh, we've got a problem. It's not a sentence you want to hear from your builder. It's like he's up the top of the list, like just under babysitter, when it comes to people you don't want to hear that sentence from. And I said, what's the problem? And he said, you know how you picked a bench top?" And I said, yeah. He said, you know how I came around and I brought you a box of benchtop samples, and it was like our budget samples for poor people? And I said, yeah. And he said, somehow, somehow one sample from the expensive box for rich people Landed in the budget box for poor people, and yeah, you picked it. I said, well, What does that mean? He said, Well, it means your bench is like super expensive, it's not made out of formica, it's made out of Caesar stone. And I was like, That sounds expensive. And he said, So, what I need to do is I need to come back around with the budget box for poor people, and you've got to pick a bench top out of that. And I remember on the phone, I just said, No, no. I'm not doing it. I cannot, I'm not even joking, David. I cannot make another decision. So put in the bench top. At the end of the build, we'll sell the house. and we'll move into a cardboard box. I would rather do that than make another flipping decision about my stinking house. Right? I had decision fatigue. So there's a lot of pastors that are kind of in that mode at the moment where we're just like, ah, oh, all I want to do is go back to the way that it was because it's easy. But how many people know this sucks that it's true? But how many people know that the right thing to do is almost never the easy thing to do? Have you noticed that? Who made up that system? Wouldn't it uh, it be better if the right thing to do was the easy thing to do? I feel like if the right thing were easy, I would do it a lot more often. Like, do you not think that? But how often do you go, ah... the right thing to do is the hard th- It's not always the case, but more often than not, the right thing is the hard thing. The hard thing is the right thing. So if you ever find yourself in a situation where you genuinely can't work out, what's the right thing to do here? Ask another question, well, what's the hard thing to do? Because almost always the hard thing will be the right thing and the easy thing not so much, right? So the easy thing is to stay where we are doing what we've always done. But another great saying is if you always do what you've always done you always get what you've always got and i don't know about you but i don't want to always get what i've always got i want more christianity is this weird journey where you have to navigate this this fine road between if this is what god has for me then i'm content Like Paul said, I have found the secret of being content in all things. So, God, if this is all you have, it is enough for me. At the same time, if it's not all you have for me, it's not enough for me. So, the Bible says to eagerly desire like the greater gift. So, you have to be content with what you have and at the same time, eagerly desire more than what you have. That's a tricky walk to walk. Happy with what you have and at the same time, wanting more than what you have. It's a tricky thing to do. And so if we always do what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always got. Now, as a team, we've been talking a lot over the last couple of months about what church would look like once all of the restrictions kind of lift, once we have the freedom to go back and do church the way that we've always done it. Is that the right thing to do or not? It's the easy thing to do, but how often is the easy thing the right thing? Not very often. And so we've asked this question. The question is, well, what have we learned over the last couple of years? What takeaways can we take from this last season into the new season? What lessons can we take? What approaches that we've been kind of forced into taking would work in this new season? And I think that there is one really powerful thing that has happened in not just this church, but in churches all around the world, and that is that we have developed a mindset which I think needs to be brought into this new season. This is a mindset that has come about because we've been so forced into adapting how we do things, changing how we do things, rethinking how we do things. Over the last couple of years, this mindset has been fashioned inside of us and I think it's a God thing and I think God's saying, I want you to take this mindset and I want you to move forward in this new mindset that I've fashioned in you over the last couple of years. Who here has seen uh, the chosen, man. If you haven't seen the chosen, I'm gonna like just go now. Go home. Well, maybe not now, but it's not very often you'll hear your pastor tell you to go home and watch TV. Go and watch the chosen. I had not watched the chosen. It came out in 2019 or something like that. I hadn't seen it, but we were locked down for two weeks, and I was so bored. So we watched a lot of TV, actually, because uh, we were all locked locked down together. Two series, eight episodes in each series. Each episode is 45 minutes to an hour long. So you're talking about like maybe 12 hours total viewing. But what The Chosen does beautifully is it just brings context around stories that we know well that we've read in our Bible. And it adds flesh to some of the bones that you get when you read the Bible. And I don't know what it is about The Chosen, but I am absolutely captivated by Jesus. And I know intellectually it's not actually Jesus. Right? Like I get that. I know it's a man called Jonathan uh, who plays the role, and I've done research on Jonathan because it was really important to me that this person had a genuine relationship with Jesus and wasn't just you know, an actor doing it for the money. So I went and did all my research, and every interview that I read told me that he had a genuine and authentic relationship with Jesus. He's a Christian, and he said that playing Jesus has been the absolute high privilege of his life. So I get that he's an actor, but when he comes on screen, I cannot take my eyes off him. And I was like, God, why? I'm an, I know he's not really you, Jesus. I know he's learned his lines and his camera's there and he's just doing what he's been told to do. But he's so, he just pulls me in. And do you know what I think it is? I think it's that any time anyone acts like Jesus, it's captivating to us. And I don't mean like an actor portraying Jesus, but I mean any time you embody the characteristics of Jesus... It's, it's just captivating. And so when I watch this guy on The Chosen, he exudes kindness and love and compassion and mercy, and that's what draws me in. And I think, man, imagine if I could act like that in just my everyday life. How compelling would that be for the people around me? Anyway, there's this one, I'm getting to a point, there's this one, I had to pad this message out because I've got pretty much nothing to say. That... <laughs> There's this one episode in The Chosen where Jesus calls Matthew, the tax collector, to be his disciple. It's like halfway through the first season. And, uh, you know, I'm aware that Matthew was a disciple, and I'm aware because the Bible says that he was a tax collector, that he collected taxes, and I was vaguely aware that that made him not overly popular, his persona non grata, right? Because the Jewish people were being massively oppressed by the Romans, they were being taxed to within an inch of their lives. They hated the Romans. The only people they hated more were their own people who had jumped ship, were working for the Romans, and were facilitating the extortion of their taxes. And so Matthew was one of those guys. And I knew he wasn't popular, but when you watch The Chosen, you're like, man, he is hated. People spit on him when they walk past. He has to have a Roman guard when he goes anywhere because otherwise he'll be assaulted. His parents have disowned him. They are so ashamed of this man. And he makes life a living hell for the Jewish people. And the Chosen has taken some creative liberties, and they've fashioned a bit of a backstory, particularly between Matthew and Peter. Matthew has made Peter's life really difficult, and Peter hates Matthew because of it. And one day, Jesus is walking through the marketplace with half a dozen of his disciples, because he gathers his disciples throughout the show. And he walks past, and he sees Matthew in his tax booth. And they just kind of have this moment where they lock eyes, and then Jesus keeps on walking, and then you just see him stop, and you think, oh, here we go. It's about to go down, right? Like, you know God's talking to him, and he stops, and he turns around, and he looks at Matthew, and he points to him, and he says, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, and they have this little wee tato tape where Matthew goes, what, me? Yes, you. Okay. He says, follow me, and Matthew doesn't even hesitate, Right, he's, just, he's out of his booth. He gives the stuff that he was carrying, his ledger and his ring and everything that represents his wealth to the guard that was beside the booth. And he makes a beeline for Jesus. And Peter is standing next to Jesus, and he is mortified at what he's just seen. And he, he grabs Jesus by the arm and he says, Hey, 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 what are, you, what are you doing? He says, You don't know this man. You don't know what he's done. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, That's exactly what you said about yourself when I called you. And Peter goes, Yeah, but this is different. And the smile runs across Jesus' face, and he says, Get used to different. Like, how boss is that? Oh my gosh. Right? Get used to different. And something about that sentence, it's like the words came out of the TV. They went straight inside of me. They rung my bell. I have not been able to stop thinking about that moment because I actually think that there's an anointing on that sentence, that this is actually what God is saying, not just to us, but to the church globally. Now is the time to get used to different. Normal is gone. There is no such thing as normal now. This is the new normal is get used to different. And actually, it's something that we were already doing as a church before we were forced into it. But globally, churches all around the world have been forced into doing things differently, thinking differently, acting differently, preaching differently, receiving or consuming differently, engaging differently. And this is the mindset that I think God has been developing in His people over the last two years. We've just had to roll with the punches, right? We've just had to get on with it. And kudos to you. I have to say, church, the way that you have responded over the last couple of years, and particularly the last couple of months, you should be very, very proud of yourself in a holy sense, because you have just got on with it. And I'm like, man, I don't even think I've had a complaint, a single complaint. I mean, I delete a lot of emails without reading them, but I don't think... (laughs) The ones that slipped through, I haven't seen anything <laughs> negative. I just opened my inbox in the morning, and I'm just like, "Nah, I, just, I'm not, I'm, I haven't had, a, like, no issues, like, none. That's because you guys have handled it so well. So, like, very proud of you, very proud of every single one of you, uh, because we have got used to different, but I'm here to tell you this morning, this is the new normal. This is the new status quo. It's just getting used to different. And I think that's exciting, right? Because I don't think that we're supposed to do stuff the same way all the time, every time. That sounds so boring, right? Getting used to different, I think, is having this mindset which says, hey, we, we do things differently. We are used to doing things differently. It's like the anecdote to the poison of religion. I and mean, religion wants to just pin you down and get you to do the same thing the same way at the same time sucks the life out of you but if you watch the chosen man every moment with jesus is different and it's meant to be like that you say okay josh great mindset get used to different we're on board it's great you said nice things about us so now we're your friends but let's just get down to brass tacks let's get down to the nitty-gritty like what does next sunday look like well next sunday is easter sunday so we're going to be down here celebrating easter you say, ah, oh, good job, you got me, all right. What about the Sunday after Easter? Well, the Sunday after Easter is Anzac weekend, so we'll also be down here celebrating uh, on Sunday. You say, okay, what about the Sunday after that, Sunday the 1st of May? Ah, that is going to be different because what we've decided to do as a team, I'll tell you what we're doing and then I'll tell you why we're doing it rather than the you know, typical government press conference where you get 10 minutes of what's going on and then you finally find out how long you're locked down for. Um, we are going to meet here on Sunday mornings and do what we just did this morning. But on the first Sunday of every month, we're going to do lounge churches. On the first Sunday of every month, we're doing lounge churches, as we have done them over the last couple of months. So if you're a guest here this morning, you don't know what a lounge church is, instead of meeting here, you meet in somebody's home. And instead of having 100 people, you have 15 to 20 people. And instead of having a big corporate worship team, worship looks different. Uh, and it's more intimate. And the reason we're doing that is a couple of reasons why we've decided to do that. The main reason is because of what we've got written on the wall. Right? Our purpose as a church, our calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. I think sometimes churches and leaders get a little bit confused about what their role is. My job is to help you do your job, it is not my job to tell your friends about Jesus. It's your job to tell your friends about Jesus. It's my job to help you do that. It's not my job to pray for your friends. I don't know them. It's your job to pray for your friends. It's not my job to show love to your friends or to demonstrate Jesus to your friends. It's your job, right? And, and uh, I get in trouble for saying this, and I have gotten in trouble for saying this, but our number one priority is to build disciples, like the Bible says, it's not necessarily to get you to invite your friends to church so that I can tell them about Jesus, I can lead them in a salvation prayer, and then I can baptize them, and then they come to my church. That doesn't, that doesn't do that. Does that make sense? You're like, whoa, man, he's laying thick, Right? You have your own ministry to do. You're a holy believer with your own ministry and you come to church to learn how to do it and to prepare for it and to be nurtured in it and to be equipped and to be trained and to gather around like-minded believers and then you go out the door and you do what God created you to do. You don't just invite them to church so that someone else can do it. Jesus didn't send out his disciples two by two with invitation cards and say, hey, hand these out to everyone that you meet, tell them to come and see me and I'll pray for them and I'll cast out demons and I'll heal them. He said, you go do it, and then come tell me how it went. That's our job, right? My job is to help you do your job. And what we discovered over the last couple of months is that breaking people into smaller groups and putting them in a home actually does a better job of training and equipping people in a lot of ways than all coming together here on a Sunday morning. See, we're all here on a Sunday morning, and it's fun, and it's exciting, and there's an energy, and there's a vibe, but you've got one person up the front sharing and a 100 people sitting and watching him do it. How is that equipping and training you? It's good to do. It's encouraging and it's edifying and it has its place. But if it's all you do week in and week out, it's not doing that, right? But what we discovered is that when we put people into small groups in people's homes, they opened up more. They got more vulnerable, right? They felt safer. They went deeper. I heard about one of our lounge churches, and they all met at someone's house at 10 o'clock. They did a little bit of worship together. They watched the message online. They prayed for each other. They ministered to each other. They talked for not 15 minutes in a group, not half an hour, but for about 45 minutes they talked about what the message meant to them and what they were going to do differently in their life. And they challenged each other. And then they had lunch together. And I heard about this Sunday and I thought that is the closest picture to how they did a church in the Bible that, I've, that I can come up with. And I don't want to let that go. We had people say, we are sad that we're finishing our lounge churches because I grew so much in that space. Uh, And one of the things that we can do moving forward once a month is actually be even more intentional about creating growth opportunities in those spaces. So rather than watching a video of somebody preaching here, what if in every lounge church somebody preached? And what if instead of having one person preach on a Sunday morning, we had six people preaching in different lounge churches at the same time? Right? What about if instead of doing communion here where one person gets up and does communion, we're doing it in all of the lounge churches and we're training up different people? Now, There's more to being a Christian than just knowing how to do communion in front of people. right? But We've got to start somewhere. Praying for people. Praying for healing, all that kind of stuff. We can be a lot more intentional about this kind of thing. At the same time, because you might be thinking, well, why don't we just go to lounge churches every Sunday? That sounds awesome. This uh, environment and this context also has a place. Because you come together, you realise that there's so much bigger going on. Uh, you partake in, you know, the, the corporate worship, the live worship, you celebrate each other, you see people that you haven't seen. So this also has a place. I've heard of some churches that have shut their doors and sold their buildings and they've just gone to lounge church full time. And that's great if that's what they feel like God has called them to do. We're not at that space. I think that there is a place for both. There's a place for people to gather in their homes and then there's a place for us to come together like we have this morning and just have a great time. And so we're going to do both. And last thing, you might say, well, how come you're doing it once a month and not like every... Because we had some discussion as a team. Do we do it monthly? Do we do it alternatively? I went for a walk and all I can do is say it like this. I went for a walk and said, God, what do you want to do? And I thought once a month. Might have been God, might not have been God. I'm not going to stand up here and every Sunday say, God told me this or God told me that. That was just a thought that I had. seemed like a good idea. Um, I didn't want to go once a fortnight right off the bat because it's very easy for you to get confused about where you're supposed to be on a Sunday. You go away for a Sunday, you head away for Easter weekend, you come back, flip. I wasn't at church on Sunday. Was it down at church? Was it at a lounge church? Is it hot in here? Yeah. Man. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I'm going to collapse into a puddle. Um... So we thought, like, that's a bit confusing, right? Um, and, and we're always going to have people down here because what we do is we have the kids out doing their group. We have the parents here. So on, on that first day of the month, the parents and the kids will all be here, and the kids will go out and do the program, and the parents will be like a lounge church. That way, if anyone does come in, like a guest or something that doesn't know what we're doing, there's always going to be people here, which is great. Um, the other reason we decided to do it once a month is because we also wanted to give the people that were hosting our lounge church a bit of a break. It's been pretty full on for them every Sunday for months, just having people into their home. So we just said, hey, look, let's do once a month. So the first Sunday of the month, nice and easy for everybody to remember. We'll make sure we communicate it and send out texts and say, hey, this is where you are. Uh, if you have been a part of a lounge church and you've enjoyed it, stay where you are. Uh, And we'll we'll, we'll sort out all the numbers, you know, moving forward. But we had a bit of an issue initially because we had to limit it to 25 people per group, and we wanted to make sure that we didn't have 40 people show up in one and 10 in another. That's not so much the case now, so we can be a little bit more flexible. Um, Someone said to me that their concern about doing it once a month was that people would just not go. They said, what if people just come to church three out of four Sundays or four out of five Sundays, and then on that one Sunday where it's lounge church, they just don't come. They just take that week off. And I said, activate won't do that. I said, our church won't do that. I have far too much faith in the maturity of our people to believe that they would just not go to church on a Sunday because it's a lounge church. So I'm just putting it out there. I, I don't think that's going to be a problem, right? <laughs> um, we have in this church, we have what's called like an experimental... Attitude. I'll often get up and be like, let's try this. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. When we started our Lounge Churches, we're like, let's do it for a month. Let's see if it works. We met at the end of the month. We thought let's do it for another month. So what we're going to do with this one, one Sunday a month, we're going to do it, we're going to try it for this year. It's only eight times. Right? We we met as Lounge Churches like ten times already. So it's only eight times once a month for the rest of the year. On the Sunday that you meet as a lounge church. We want to incorporate lunch in there as well, so your lounge church leader will talk to you about that, but it'll be a potluck type situation. And we're just going to do it for a year, and then we'll see how it goes. I've spoken to a lot of pastors about it, um, because I was curious to see if anyone else was doing it, and they're not. But they're all very excited for us. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple that have said, oh, that, good on you, that's, in, that's, that's exciting, let me know how it goes. <laughs> so, uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, I'll get the band to jump back up, we're going to finish with the song. So, if anyone has any questions around what we're doing or why we're doing it, hopefully I've answered most of those this morning. We're still figuring out some of the, the minor details, but what it will mean is that you are here on a Sunday morning doing what we did this morning. Except for the first Sunday of each month, in which case you'll get a text during the week saying, Hey, it's Lounge Churches this week. We'll see you at such and such a place on excuse me, on Sunday, and, and away you go. And then in those lounge church environments, it will be a little bit more discipleship development focused. I just I don't have the energy or the time to muck around. <laughs> Right? If, if we're here, we're doing this. Right? We're, we're raising people up. We're teaching them to do what God's called them to do. That's what we're about. That's what church is about. If you're, if you're a part of this church called Activate, I've said it many times, you're a sucker if you come to a church called Activate and then get stressed about being activated. It's like, it's what we do. Right? And if, if anything, I don't think we've probably done it as well as we could have. So we'll just see how we go. I'm just putting it out there. If you come here you're going to learn. You're going to grow. You're going to get put in uncomfortable positions. Every single person on my team has been made to be uncomfortable at times. I have started developing a horrible habit of just giving the microphone to people and saying, "Get up and do something," without warning. Because if I give them warning, they freak out. But if I just give it to them and get them to do it, there's adrenaline kicks in, right? Hey, hey. Are we good? Give me a wave if you're good. I know it's a weird Sunday morning. If you're a guest, you're like, what have I walked into? Like a, you know, a weird Sunday. But this is what we're going to be about. So next Sunday, we're going to be here. It's Easter Sunday. We'll be here Friday as well for Easter Friday. The next Sunday, we'll be here. And then the Sunday after that, you'll be in in your lounge churches and you'll be praying for people and getting involved. Is that cool? Yes. Awesome.